You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou art. Gracious Lord Jesus, you have not only opened the way to heaven for us, but have taught us the way to walk through those gates. You have filled us with your spirit that we might have power, and you have given us your word that we might have understanding. Help us now, as we reflect more deeply on your words in our understanding, that we may more perfectly walk in your will and more earnestly repent when we fail, and so be the salt and light for this world that you have called us to be. This we ask in your precious name. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, it's been three weeks since we last heard this text, and we're going to spend a total of three weeks on these few verses from the Gospel of Matthew and the Sermon of the Mount. And there's a reason for this. Remember, Jesus is laying out progressively a path for us, a path of righteousness, a path whereby we can learn how to be the people God created us to be and has redeemed us to be. And this teaching on anger is the foundation. I've got builder in the room, so I hope I don't a bad analogy here, but I'm pretty sure that when you build a building, you want to pay the most strict attention to the foundation, or else nothing else you build on top of it will be of any use. So we want to pay attention to this foundational teaching on anger before we move up to the other levels. Because if we don't get this right, we're going to get everything else wrong. So Jesus is presuming now that we've ingested the first teachings in the sermon, that we know that our true well-being and happiness is going to rest with Him in His kingdom. Because if we forget that, we are going to... What he's going to say now is going to make no sense at all for us. So I'm just going to quick reframe or to reprise what we talked about three weeks ago. Um, I was on vacation too, so I don't really know what I said. Um, what we had was I focused on the psychological aspects of anger. Talked about it as being part of a flight or fight response built into us by God. And so that's not the kind of anger God, God's not talking about anger in general. Jesus is specifically talking about anger that we cultivate, that we nurture, until it becomes a sort of settled state of mind. We're always looking for a target, justification to say, it's right that I be angry. Um, and then we talked about how being angry, fostering that hurts us first and foremost. Hurts the person who's angry. Hurts them physiologically, with stress and all the things that are related, the cardiac and, and different types of uh, diseases we can get from that. And it also helps hurts the spiritually. Because human beings are made for this beautiful wide range of experiences and emotions. 
And the longer you nurture anger, the more your emotional range is dampened and goes down and down and down to all you can experience is this dull drum of anger constantly. And then we talk about the fact that anger so nurtured hurts the people around us even if we don't express it. Well now, today, we're going to look at what happens when we do express it. Now, Jesus, in talking about this, begins by using uh, some, a phraseology he expected people to be familiar with. You've heard it said, you shall not murder. He who murders will be liable to the judgment. Now, the first part of that, he who murders, if you shall not murder, that's a direct quote from the Ten Commandments, the Sixth Commandment against murder. You can find that in Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5. Okay? But the next part, you've heard it said, he who murders will be liable to judgment. That's nowhere in Scripture. But it must have been a phrase that Jesus expected his audience to be familiar with. It was probably a, a Bible, kind of a, a wise saying uh, that was passed around amongst Jews of Jesus' day. Well, Jesus takes that phrase he expects it to be familiar with and uses parallelism to introduce some ideas that they're not familiar with. So he takes, he'll be liable to judgment, which they know, and then he restructures it twice. First, if you insult your brother, you'll be liable to the council. And then if you say you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. Now this is going to be new ideas. There's no, no commandment against insult. So why is Jesus going to take us down this road? Well, first and foremost, we want to notice a word that he uses frequently here. Four times the word brother is used. Adelphos in uh, the Greek, which is where we get Philadelphia from. You've heard the city of brotherly love. It's literally it's the meaning of the word brother. Now, the idea Jesus is building on here is not the church. Throughout the New Testament, the word brother is frequently used to talk about church members. Ladies, you are brothers too in this regard. Okay? So we all share in the sonship of Jesus Christ through baptism. Now, in this case, it's not what Jesus is talking about. And we know that very clearly because Jesus hasn't even talked about founding his church yet. He will say to Peter, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church a couple of chapters from now. What he's talking about now is what we might call the universal brotherhood of humanity. That is an idea which is distinctively Jewish. It's not an idea that all right-wing people eventually come around to culturally. Because the Jewish scripture said that all human beings are made in the image of God. And multiple scholars have noted that if you believe in the universal brotherhood of humanity, you owe that thought to the Jews, to this small, insignificant, in terms of numbers, ethnic minority in the world. So Jesus is building on this idea of people being made in the image of God, and because of that, we're all brothers. And because of Any, any good of you listening, I should say, that you put in mind of the first brothers in Scripture and how one murdered the other. Cain and Abel. Now, there was a book that Jews had in their Old Testament, the most popular Old Testament of 
the Jew, uh, of Jesus' day, which we don't have in our modern Bible, and that book is called uh, The Wisdom of Solomon. And here's what it says about that murder of Solomon. But when the unrighteous king went away from wisdom in his anger, he perished also in the fury wherewith he murdered his brother. Now, you notice there that it's not Abel who is said to perish, it's Cain. Cain, because of his anger, gets destroyed by his anger. And this is what Jesus is drawing to find for his audience as he goes into these parallels about insult and about calling them fool. Now, this first phrase here where it says, um, I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. That phrase, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, is a bit of a paraphrase. If you read the King James Bible or your international version, they stick a little closer to the word to word here. The word for word translation, you better say, whoever says racha to his brother. Now, it's an interesting word for both the King James and the New International Version keep it in our It's not a Greek word. It's Aramaic, which was the sweet language of Jerusalem and Jesus' death. Now, it's one of the few Aramaic words preserved for us in the New Testament. So, apparently, the author of the Gospel of Matthew thought was not really translatable into Greek. So he kept it. Now, the word raka comes from the word empty. And if you said to somebody, in fact, it was used, John Chrysostom, one of the great greatest preachers of church history, noticed, noted that you would use the word rakha in place of the word you when you wanted to insult somebody. If I would say, hey, you, you owe me money. But say, you rakha, you owe me money. You were calling them an empty person, an insubstantial, an insignificant person. It was an insult of the first order. In fact, some scholars have speculated that maybe even the word rock comes from the sound you're making about to spit on something. The universal sign you have contempt. Now, that word, if you say to your brother, ah, you'll be liable to the council. Council is a significant thing. In the Judaism of Jesus' day, you were entitled, just like in modern America, to a, a court of your peers, what we would call a jury of your peers, to decide your guilt or innocence. Twenty-three people from your community would get together and decide your guilt or innocence. But the council, what's called the Sanhedrin later in the book of Matthew and in the other Gospels, that was 71 of the best scholars of the law. Now, they were empowered try cases without insults. So Jesus is using this as a metaphor. Okay? What metaphor for what? Well, you're going to stand before the law. You're going to be answerable to the law of God for calling your brother or sister Raha. And he goes on, he goes on to talk about, and then say, or if you say, you fool. Now that word is translated into Greek, it's the word morose, from which we get the word morose in English. Um, and we're not sure exactly what it meant, but Jesus later applies it to the Pharisees when he says, you blind fools. So we know from context that it's a much worse insult than calling somebody rock. And then he says, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. Now because we live after 2,000 years of Christianity, we have a particular idea in our mind when we hear the word hell. But Gehenna, the word that's translated as hell, was the trash dump. 
on the side of Jerusalem. Have you ever been to a really big trash dump, especially if poor people live nearby and they burn trash to keep themselves warm at night? No one puts the trash out no one puts the fire out, so it continues to find stuff to burn. So, what Jesus is evoking for them is the trash dump at the side of Jerusalem, where there's always smoke rising, there's always fires burning, and there's always this, these unclean animals called dogs that are scavenging over there. And the reason why it was such a neglected part of town, and why it was used as a trash dump, is it's the place where there used to be human sacrifice going on. People would sacrifice babies there. And so no one wanted to live there anymore. Jesus is saying that if you call somebody a fool, that's what you're going to be liable to. Why? Why is he, is he going to be ramping up the punishments for what seems like a smaller offense? Well, here at least is part of the truth. What insult and contempt is, is a way of domesticating anger and making it socially I heard a joke recently, but I'm going to partially share it. I want you to think about, right now, if you, I can't, I'm not going to tell the joke the way I remember it. I want you to think about in your mind a group of people about whom you and your friends typically look at them with disregard. Could be another race, could be the other sex, could be another political party. Think of them and then you have to fill in the blank. How many blanks does it take to change a light bulb? That's not funny! No. You're not laughing? Why? Well, because rage expressed in that way typically brings a halt to any social proceeding. But, tell a contemptuous joke. Maybe an offhand plan. You may get laughs. You may get social approval. In fact, nearly every social group has its members that it looks down on. And in most circles, not knowing who to despise may indicate that you're one of the despicable people yourself. During the American Civil War, there was a thing called the uh, Battle of the Republic, and we talked about the grapes of wrath. If anger is the grape, then contempt is the fine wine where we've extracted the essence of anger and refined it and purified it and vented it carefully, and now we savor it on the palate in our social occasions. Contempt is dangerous. Beautiful quote by Dallas Willard on this regard. He says, In anger I want to hurt you. In contempt, I don't care whether you're or not. Or at least I say that. You're not worth consideration one way or another. We can be angry at someone without denying their worth, but contempt makes it easier for us to hurt them or to see them further degrade. Think about what's going on now, at this moment in our history. There are many cultural challenges we are facing. Depending on your political leaning, you're going to probably give me a different list. But here's a list that confronts all of us that's threatening the unity of our republic. 
is that no matter how we settle these issues, right now our political leaders and our news analysts are training us to think of people who disagree with us as contemptible, as people of bad faith, as people whose motives or whose capacity or whose information is unreliable. We're entitled to look down on this. Whether or not our candidate uses a word like deplorable, we're being trained by our people in leadership to think of others in this way. And that threatens the unity of our republic. And that's what contempt does. Contempt destroys the possibility of community unity. Jesus, at no point in this teaching, is assuming that short of heaven, there's not going to come. In fact, there will be conflict. He's teaching us how to deal with conflict and how to deal with our family. There'll be conflict within the beloved community, and there'll be conflict between the beloved community and those outside. We will distinguish ourselves as followers of Him by the way we handle our anger. Next week, we're going to get to Jesus' prescription for how to deal with it. Because what we're dealing with right now is the negative conflict. But contempt is something we are to utterly set to the side as followers of Jesus. Not calling the people we disagree with wrong or fool. Lest we be liable to the judgment of the law and the fire of God. Most of you know that um, I do karate with my kids. We do a style of karate called Shotokan. The Japanese uh, comes from Okinawa and, uh, and um, the most fundamental thing about karate is not, at least our form of karate, is not the block, it's not the punch, it's not the kick, it's the battle. When sensei, a teacher, instructs us to be bad, when we face each other, we bow. Before we try to practice even the very the simplest of techniques, we bow. And then we bow again when we're done. At the end of every workout session, we, re- we repeat together as a group what's called the Dojo Kun, or the Code of Conduct for the Dojo, for our style of karate. And our Dojo Kun uh, begins like this Seek perfection of character. And there's four other elements be faithful, endeavor, respect others and refrain from violent behavior. As Christians, we are meant, meant to follow Jesus. Because here's what we know. We know that each of us, all of us, are by nature proper objects of God's wrath. We are rebels against God. We have acted hatefully against Him and against His law. And God would be right to hold us in contempt and let us perish. But instead, in the person of Jesus Christ, God has shown solidarity with us. He has taken upon himself the burden of our sin and so reconciled us to himself. So now, as followers of Jesus Christ, as we seek perfection of character, we are called upon to be faithful to his teachings, to endeavor to respect others, 
and refrain from violent behavior, especially the violent behavior of contemptuous language. This will not save us. But through the power of the Spirit, it might help save the world. Lord Jesus Christ, how hard this teaching is for us. We have, from the playgrounds of our youth, learned to exclude others from our social circles, to look down upon them. And as we got older, we learned more sophisticated ways of doing the same, including words that ought never be uttered. Help us, O oh Lord, to recognize when we have domesticated our anger and made it socially acceptable. Help us to turn away from it and turn our hearts back toward you and your teachings, trusting that you and what you're teaching to us, this way of life, will be more fruitful unto righteousness than the ways we've learned. Help us remember your love for us and your sacrifice that we may love and sacrifice for others, especially those with whom we most disagree. This we pray in your precious name, which is forever Jesus the Christ. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to